Hello, Baha'i Blogcast. It's me, your host, Rain Wilson. And listen, I want to do a little shameless self-promotion before we get going with today's interview. And that is, I have another podcast going. I have a few out there, but this one I think you might be interested in is called Metaphysical Milkshake. And it is with the great writer, scholar, provocateur, Reza Aslan, a dear friend of the Baha'i faith. And we talk about life's biggest possible questions. It's produced by Soul Pancake and Cast Media. And we have conversations with some of the world's greatest writers and thinkers about all kinds of issues. Uh, we speak with uh, Mayim Bialik, the actress, uh, multiple award-winning actress about Is Religion Relevant? We talk to Krista Tippett from On Being, Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, Elizabeth Colbert, uh, a lot of great writers and thinkers in elevated conversations, quote-unquote, which I know you'd be familiar with. So please... Wherever you find your podcasts, just go like, subscribe, rate, review, and listen to Metaphysical Milkshake. Hello, and welcome to Baha'i Blogcast with me, your host, Rain Wilson. This is where I interview members of the Baha'i faith and other friends from all over the world about their hearts and minds and souls, their spiritual journeys, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the Baha'i podcast universe. You know who you are. There are three and a half dozen of you. <laughs> Welcome to this newest edition. And I'm here with my Baha'i brother, fellow actor, philosopher. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I view you as kind of a philosopher. You're very... It's what I, it's what I think I, I think most. You... I think most. You think <laughs> I most. philosophize most, maybe. I, I, you, <laughs> as I've gotten to know you over the years, I, you, you strike me as just so eminently thoughtful. You, you, you don't do anything rashly. You put a lot of thought into everything. <sighs> that might be true, yeah. I mean, who knows if I end up making the best decision. That's certainly not, okay. not the case. But I think about it a lot before I do it. You, you ponder, you mull. Yeah. You. So this is Penn Badgley, who is an actor. He's been on a lot of different TV shows and movies that you've seen and some that you haven't seen, notably Gossip Girl and this new show, You, which is a huge international hit on the Netflix. The old uh, Netflix. The old Netflix. So, and I understand You is really big in Indonesia. Where were you saying a story? Like you landed in like... Well, that was, that was, uh, where was that? That was Manila. So okay, Philippines. Yeah. Um, and there were like a thousand... People greeting you at the airport. That or something? well, it wasn't so. It, it was at a mall. So first of all, who's been to a mall recently uh, in this pandemic? I guess not many. But I hadn't been in a mall myself, you know, in a while. The malls are definitely losing their currency in America. But this was a mall in Manila, and it was packed with thousands of. You fans, yeah, like now, screaming. Was, was this like an event? Like, oh, we're going to pay it you to press. do it. It was press. Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah, okay. like I mean. It was it was a, like a press tour, so it was not like it was spontaneous. But I will say that in all of my years of uh, witnessing some form of adulation, you know, like the 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 fan experience, that was that was like really I, I can't. I mean, you know, I've been on stage in front of thousands of people. I have, you know, that's but but when it's in a mall, which by the way, everything's like glass and steel and like stone. So it just, so the sound reverberates. Right, it was right. like, I, I was like in all of my years. You felt like the Beatles. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and I will say I had an anxiety attack that, 
that press trip. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not a person who has that. Fr- I mean, look, I have anxieties. I think I'm human. But because I, I became Baha'i a number of years ago, which gave so much like legitimacy to, to, to prayer and meditation in my life, it's such a pillar, it's such a thing I rely on. I will say that something like an anxiety attack is becoming less and less of a... It's more and more of a thing of the past, you know? Mm. It's like mm-hmm. that's not something that I'm as challenged by. But this was just recently. This was, this was recently. This was like two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. And it really was profound. I mean, I, I, I was coming to terms with having lived my half of my life, at least, in, in some kind of like public eye. And it was... Oh, it, it, I felt the, the blessings descending... But it was in the form of an anxiety attack, and it was pretty intense. Wow! Yeah. Wow! I mean, what I was—I was—I was, I was 32. Um, you know, I'd been through Gossip Girl and processed that, and it still was. I will tell you, the elevator doors opened, and what I was met with—it was very hard to smile in the face of what it felt like. You know, and I'm not saying that, like, I had the best vision of what it was. I'm not saying I saw reality and I should have been upset. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it was alarming and it was really hard to process in that moment. It felt, it just was... Just overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I, I always maintain that it's not really, a, it's not just... You know, in a, in a, in, a, in a, some future vision of society, which none of us are accurate in imagining, but, like, you know... In a, in a spiritualized and truly just civilization, I don't think celebrity exists in the way that it does now. Uh, um, yeah, we are, we are in a celebrity-obsessed culture. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I will just say, like, for all of the spiritual grounding that I have, that I have you know, worked for, like, really worked for, mm-hmm. and years before finding the Baha'i Faith, mm-hmm. I was working for it. And I didn't know how or why. I didn't know exactly where or when, but I was working for it. I was, tr- I was seeking. And the peace that I've found since, since becoming Baha'i is profound. It's mm. nothing short of, like, legit salvation, like, born-again I mean, that's the way I feel. Wow. That's a big statement. I mean, and that's what it needs to be. That's what that's, uh, I shouldn't say it needs to be. That's, that's you know, I feel like we experience shades of that throughout our life as Baha'is. And I actually am in total awe of people who grow up with a faith and accept it because my experience was totally different. It was like mm-hmm. turning away from everything anybody ever told me, including my parents. Yeah. So I could find it for myself. And I feel like for Baha'is who grew up with it, you guys have to do that, but then also accept what your parents gave you, <laughs> which is a right. test. Yeah, that's yeah. a test. That was a, that was certainly a big test, test for me, and um, uh, I'm sensing that's a bit of a test for my son. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that is that is that's a tr- that's a tricky one. That is a tricky one. But wow, that's um, so. Point is, like, I really did find a, a remarkable peace. And you know, look, I'm not saying I have I have every every ordinary human experience of anxiety and, and, and stress and stuff, but it really doesn't often happen in the way that it did then. I was surprised. I was mm. like, whoa, I still have uh, not, no, I shouldn't say I still have work to do. That's a little bit too like psychological. I think it just was simply like, wow, this is never going to be normal. Um, I shouldn't think I've figured it out. Mm-hmm. This is just, mm-hmm. you know, just a thing. Was, uh, so 
this kind of narcissistic experience became kind of a humbling experience for you. Well, yeah. I mean, I think what I realized is like, in a way, it was like <sighs> realizing like this will always be a profound test for you at the level of the ego. Like, like you mm -hmm. know, because it, it will always encourage narcissism. It just can't not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It yep. ha you know, it just yep. has to. Yeah, I've uh, I've certainly experienced that. I certainly wrestle with that, and it's something we all struggle with, Ben. I think that you don't have to be a, a television celebrity to struggle with kind of ego and, and narcissism. We know that Abdul Baha described Satan to a journalist when he landed in the United States as the insistent self, and we all have a very strong insistent self that mm. wants to. Um, put us above others, protect us, um, elevate us, um, be thought of in a certain way, have certain kind of comfort status. And you don't have to be a celebrity to experience that. Not you at could, all. You just, I mean, it, you it, could work at a food court and you would, you know, the people at your taco stand, you want to be thought of better than the people at the hamburger stand. And there can be, you know, that kind of insistent self going on. Well, it feels to me like American culture, which is more and more like becoming some form of the global, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a part of. Yeah. Western, no. Western culture is American culture is kind of global culture. I mean, we all know that. That's yeah. like been happening. The right? fact that you went to a mall in, in Manila. Manila. Um, yeah. And I was met by thousands of, of what of we call fans. But, fans you know, of an each, American each TV individual show. human soul. I mean, imagine that just the. There's, mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. the, so there's like, it's interesting for a moment, just the spiritual potential of thousands of people gathering around, you know, one, one focal point. Strangely, that focal point was another human, which is, I think, the, the, the weird impropriety of that situation. You know, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers because it's like, look, we're all part of the culture. But the point uh, in answering your question is like, I think it's like being American, being Western, being being a human on Earth now in 2021, 2022, um, mm -hmm. our insistent self is just inc encouraged, in encouraged, fed. You know, it's like, yeah. which, what's that old saying? Like, which wolf do you feed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. the, the wolf of the ego is being fed by our culture. Like, if you don't actively figure out how to, like, regiment its diet and make sure you're giving yeah. more food to the other wolf, which is, you know, your soul, I guess. Yeah, um, especially for young people and teenagers, there's so much more food for the insistent yeah. self out there. I mean, yeah. social media. And it comes in the form often of language of, like, social justice or, or you know, it's not all bad. It's not all clearly, like, just bad. It's, right. it's self-empowerment. Like, exactly. You know, exactly. you can be, like, under the guise of that, which is, but it's actually, like asserting yourself and yeah. focusing on yourself and the individual uber alles, yeah. you know, um, social media has a lot of great components to it and facets to it. But oh man, it is, it's such a, it's such a landmine. How do you deal with social media? I took it off my devices, yeah. you know, yeah. and I have other people run it because I found that it was a toxic time suck yeah, yeah. for me to have it on my phone. And I would always, and here's how my narcissism works, is like, I will do an Instagram post and then read through the comments of, of like, yeah. hey, do people like me? You know? How could you not? And we were talking earlier, Penn, about, you know, my basis for being an actor was this insecure, gawky kid who found out he could make people laugh and mm -hmm. just wanted to be liked. And... 
that kind of launched me in this career. Hey, do you like me? Mm -hmm. And then here's social media, which is all about, hey, do you like me? How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, I can just tell you, I don't think I've posted in about a year. What? Right now. Right now. Think about the year we just went through. Okay. There's a lot. I'm going to take a picture right now. (laughs) There's a lot happening. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. Okay. I want to hear about your year, but first of all, we're going to do a picture and then you're going to post this. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. You're listening. History being made, folks, here. There, boom. I'm going to okay. send that to you. All right. See, here's what, I, here's what I'm going to wrestle with in okay. posting that. Hey, I haven't posted in a year. There's a lot of ways to, to, to think about this, and I'll try and not ramble or be too tangential. So first, one of the things I think about with social media is, like, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're famous or, or not or communicating with people around the world instantly through digital platforms is something of this manifestation of spiritual reality, which is instant communication and community with people around the world so Mm -hmm. that we can see our oneness. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is a reflection of the revelation of Baha'u'llah maybe in its essence. However, the way that it actually manifests currently in the form of Twitter and Instagram and all these others is very much a corporate capitalist consumerist like uh, mm-hmm. platform or that's the garment it comes in. So, re- so, so yes, there's no doubt that on social media, people around the world now have this additional forum where good things can happen because people are always going to make connection and always going to make good things happen. Mm-hmm. That's what I think part of our faith like kind of gives us this, mm-hmm. this optimism about that. But let's be real. What do the features of Twitter demand? Well, it used to be 150 characters, 140 characters. Now it's 240 characters. You know, that's one facet. The other is your handle. The other is your picture. The other is your bio. You know, everything is encouraging you, because it's owned by corporations, to to treat yourself as a corporate brand. So everybody, no matter right. you're you the funny thing is is that a famous person might have the most honest relationship with social media because they know what they're using it for. Yeah. Whereas this is other, my brand. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. my brand. Mm-hmm. I probably don't even deal with it individually. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm I know what that is. It's a it's a platform. It's a conduit. I can monetize it if I so choose. Anyway, you know, a person who's not famous who's using it and has an opportunity to say things they wouldn't other was have the opportunity to say to many people. I mean, so it's great that they can do that, but they're but they're being forced to sort of operate as a brand in a way. Like, you know, the yeah. number of retweets you get, the number of likes you get, you are forced into this sort of mode of interaction that is not pure. It's not mm-hmm. it's not neutral. It's very value laden. So well, I think not, not only that, these companies and you've seen the the what's the social what's it called? The social network? No. Social the, dilemma. The right? social yeah, dilemma. Yeah, it's informative. You know, yeah. a great documentary. But you know, they have psychologists on staff completely, yeah. To get to have they they need clicks. You yeah. know, they want you to they spend want to manipulate more time. you just to get money. They, yeah. It's like you know, and and you can't even really blame these corporations for like that's the way they're gonna corporations are gonna corporate. You know, like yeah. they're gonna do yeah. what they do, yeah. and we have to be mindful of it. And so it's like what I think the way that I think about it is like, all right, what is even plausible on social media, and what's possible? I always want to bend towards being optimistic and what's possible, but also let's be realistic. Like what's plausible of what's going to happen on social media. Frankly, something like Black Lives Matter is is an instance of like, this is where social media will always be utilized 
by by marginalized people mm-hmm. to great effect. Mm-hmm. And great. I want that to happen tenfold. You know what I mean? However, it did cause great division and great disunity. Um, yeah. Not not to say that we shouldn't have been posting about Black Lives Matter or George Floyd or racial injustice on social media, but you know, we just see the the screaming matches and yeah, arguments. It's not that and straightforward. The, and the siloization yeah. of, of different parties and Black Lives Matter versus blue, as if there's a versus Blue Lives Matter, as yeah. if it's a dichotomy. I know. Um, I, I mean, the thing that's so hard about about Twitter in particular is that I feel like it encourages just this. It's the opposite of consultation. It's 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 debate. It's competition and not cooperation. Like it's. I've mm-hmm. really been thinking about this, and here's why I haven't posted in a year okay just i think it's just about a year now keep in mind if i'm in an interview or i'm on a podcast like i did a podcast interview with la times like probably less than a year ago it's like if i'm invited into a space Mm -hmm. great but what am i like think about it i feel like in the baha'i writings my my understanding and i can't like quote it verbatim but my understanding is there is there silence is not necessarily there is a context in which the the modern saying that silence is violence is true. There is a context in which that mm-hmm. is true. There mm-hmm. is also a context in which Baha'u'llah tells us that silence is 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 safety. Mm-hmm. It is it is wisdom. It is moderation. Um, waiting until someone actually asks you what you think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is wisdom in that. Mm. And I think as a public figure, I'm very much in the business right now of thinking. You know what? The world has had enough public figures trying to tell it what to do. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's I, true. I, I, and, and I'm not saying that, again, I'm not trying to defend or, or validate my decision to not post for a year. I think it's maybe a bit, it's not, maybe it's immoderate. But, but I've just been in a year of trying to, what does it mean to like listen? What does it mean to, I've, been, I've wanted to post. I've felt so compelled when something intense is happening. Like, what are people going to think of me if I'm silent? Because actually, historically, I've been very outspoken, Mm. especially before I became a Baha'i. I mean, I was like, actually, there's only mode of action I understood. I was like, you know, literally till my hands were cold and trembling. I was tweeting one Thanksgiving after, after in, in 2014, which was after the August, uh, event of Black Lives Matter after Michael Brown was murdered. I remember like crying on Twitter, like, wow, you had like a Twitter meltdown. Yeah. And, and, and like, because in that moment I thought like all of these, it was the only mode that at that point, and I was investigating the faith consciously this year, but, and, and starting to read messages from the universal house of justice and what a transition started to happen for me where the most meaningful form of action I saw as a person who had been on Gossip Girl, as a person who had, you know, at this point, hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, because I got on social media late. Like, if I'd gotten on in the middle of Gossip Girl, I very well could have had millions upon millions, but it would have been for a particular reason, you know? So I was thinking, like, the most meaningful contribution I have to make as an individual is on these platforms. I mean, I have what we call followers, quote unquote. And in trying to have an, a pure intention and honest interaction in these spaces, I also found that I was completely overwhelmed by being conscious of how many likes or retweets or whatever. Yeah. Seeing what was, it was such a convoluted way yeah. to be 
like acting. It was a so it was a very convoluted, complicated, wrapped up in ego and and yeah. our materialist culture. It was it was it was not it was not the most fulfilling or meaningful contribution that I could make as yeah. an individual seeking to like better the world, right? But at that point in time, that was a surprising that was I was not I was coming to realize that, mm-hmm. but it was hard to see that when everybody's like, you have a platform, you got to do this, you got to do that, you have the following, this and that. You, people call that power. And I don't know that we would necessarily call that power mm-hmm. in the Baha'i faith. I think power is something that is infinite, it cannot be jealously guarded or coveted, and it's through God. It's from God, and it can only be channeled through us in our sort of emptying of self. So, like, how does one empty of self on Twitter? I'm not sure. I don't know how that well, happens. Well, we just took a, so we just took a, a selfie. And what if I would just pose to you, this podcast comes out and there's two actors that are Baha'is and a lot of people know that I'm a Baha'i, mm. but some, a lot of people don't know that you're a Baha'i. Although if you Google you, you, you can find, easily find that out. And then it's on our Instagrams and we're like, hey, two Baha'i dudes having a conversation. You can listen to it yeah. here. Then isn't that using our platform for good? Yeah. But of course... We will, you know, look through the comments and be like, <laughs> yeah. Dwight, you look old, man. Yeah, right. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's going to be like, oh, yeah. he, and you're with the stalker. What's your Joe? Yeah, Joe. It's like, he's oh, going to put look, you in his Joe, cage, man. It's Joe and Dwight <laughs> together, man. And two surfers are going to be commenting the entire time on yeah. our and the books. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't there some possible good that could come out of something like that? Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I have utilized it for those purposes too you know Mm. i mean i I, it's it's so you know it's like i said i'm not even suggesting that my um this mode i've been in has been the best or appropriate it's just something you needed to do it's been yeah yeah it's been it was like i was i've been very outspoken and then also just very public for so many years in a row and i feel like this year of all years we went through the pandemic and all of the topics and discourse, you know, race in America is like, I mean, we call it in the Baha'i faith, the most challenging issue. It's the most vital issue. Our country, like the way our country learns through not only healing from the evil of racism, but understanding what positively exists in its stead. It's not just that, you know, peace is not just the absence of war. It's a positively existing thing. So Mm. like, you know, this term that we're coming to understand in in i think particularly in the american baha'i community is race amity like what does that mean you don't hear people use that term mm-hmm. we we don't under we can't claim to have some profound understanding yeah. of it yet we just know that there is something profound to understand so well that's you know i like what you just said right there you know you, if you if you translate peace to to racism you know racial amity is not just Hey, look, very few injustices are being perpetrated upon black people. It's kind of like, hey, look, white people and black people are uh, living together in harmony and mutual respect and love and service to each other and great empathy. So that that is an active yeah, it's something totally positively existing, not just the healing of something that was awful. You know, it's like, I mean, my sense i don't know i mean but my sense is that part of what's going to happen in the future is we're gonna 
I don't know that the terms white and black will have the same validity or use because they are social constructs. The ideas we have around race are so are so socially constructed that I think we sometimes forget. Like, if we're really trying to just basically unpack the fact of the oneness of humanity, that's like, I mean, I don't know how to simplify the Baha'i faith. It's the hardest thing to do. But, like, if if one way to, to say it simply is, like, we're just trying to understand the fact that Baha'u'llah has told us about and is always helping us to realize that we are all one. So as we're realizing that, when is when are we going to think, how useful are these terms, white and black? Because if we're all people with an infinite diversity of perspective and experience, if we're breaking down the systems that denote people as white and black, and they're starting to have better, freer experiences... I think those terms are eventually going to be so limiting. And, and when we start to have that, that's when we're going to understand race amity. That's when we're going to understand even... Because to some degree in God's creation, it's like, I guess there's a purpose to race, but it's not ever what we've defined it as. You know, it's, it's a manifestation of diversity, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is not... You know, we don't want unity that is just like all one thing. We mm-hmm. want an infinite diversity within our mm-hmm. oneness. So mm-hmm. race, if anything, is a beautiful expression of God's infinite variety you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like when we talk about race on those terms rather than like i mean literally black and white like how much more yeah simple and binary kind of you know it's like anyway so so uh it's funny you called me a philosopher because i get you know it's hard for me to to feel confident about simplifying thoughts on social media it, because I think we've come into an age that has become so volatile and violent in its discourse that I, well, let's go back to what we were saying about, you know, wanting to please people and be liked. It, it's, it's, you know, you're going to piss off so many people yeah. when yeah. you post. Yeah. And I'm not even saying like, I don't want to piss people off because I want to be liked. I'm actually, well, partly that, look, I'm human and I have that. So I'm navigating that, negotiating with that. But then I also have the legitimate question as a Baha'i. Hmm. What's the best mode of conduct in this space? Yeah. You know? It's just, and if I, if I know conflict that, and contention are to be avoided at all costs... At all costs. Is even using social media creating some conflict and contention? Yeah. I mean, it's like... so, And then, and here's my... And then my ego, as a person who was outspoken and actually got a lot of, like... To some degree, I got a lot of, like, cred for it. <laughs> Part of me still wants to be really radical. Like, I won't lie. Mm-hmm. I, part of me wants to say the thing that will make... That will stir the pot or that, poke, that poke will, the bee's nest. That will make radical people be like, oh, wow, that celebrity is surprisingly radical. Yeah. Because that, that's kind of the sort of ethos I come from. Mm-hmm. And I have a personal fear of appearing too moderate in an age of immoder- immoderacy, immoderation. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I'm, that's, that's real. And... And uh, I think young Baha'is, particularly in America, are, are challenged by that. I mm. think we, we, I think justice in our current kind of like violent materialistic age, which I'm pretty sure Abdul Baha and Shoghi Effendi defined as like you know, if it's if it's the century of light, it's also the century of darkness. It's like we're children of the half 
light. We it's it's the darkest spiritual age of humanity because we're mm. the furthest from God while having the most access to God through Baha'u'llah, through this universal manifestation that comes once every five hundred thousand years. I mean, you know, we're the potency of this age is so rich mm. and our remoteness from accessing that potency is mm. so great mm. that we live in a painful, painful, anxious age. And to me, understandably, short of seeing the effect of words as mild as milk, short of really appreciating that. I mean, mm. Baha'u'llah says, as, as I understand, like, you know, that we should always be using words as mild as milk. That does not sound like a modern path to justice. That does not sound like what's going to get us mm, there. You know an what I mean? interesting dichotomy, yeah. Right. It mm. has to be taken into account with every other thing that Baha'u'llah says, some of which are so radical we can't, <laughs> you know, even, yeah. like, understand them yet. But I think for me, um, you I mean, know... Abdu'l-Bahá says, I have it as my quote on my Facebook page, lift up your voices and shout until okay. this dark world be filled with light. Right, so that's a great... I mean, I love that you just brought that up because it's like we... we there's so many facets to the way that we need to approach this. And we're all bringing, that's what, that, the purpose of consultation, the purpose of like, you know, unity and diversity is like, we're all bringing our understanding to the table. So all these voices who've never been heard do need to be heard. And I think the strange relationship of a very famous person to social media is like, how do I listen? How do mm. I listen? And, mm. and, and when and how do I speak up? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just, look, it's a working question. So... This fascinating conversation. I'm so glad we're getting to have this. But let's go back to the very beginning. Yeah. People don't really know you. <laughs> so you were telling me a little bit about your childhood. Sounds mm -hmm. like a, kind of a little bit of a crazy family, kind of what I had. And you started acting quite young, came to L.A. But tell us about that childhood that was the, you know, the, the background to, mm -hmm. um, to, to pen the Baha'i. That's a, I love that you say it like that because it was like I was always headed here, you know. That's sometimes I just witness with awe and gratitude. Like, wow, Baha'u'llah was always with me. He was mm. with me in that moment. Like, wow, that's crazy. Mm. Here's, a, here's, a, here's a little childhood moment. I was about nine or ten. Uh, my parents had me with a babysitter, which is very rare. I grew up an only child, although I have a half-sister who's 17 years older, so we both grew up as only children and got to connect later in life. I remember playing Sorry, the board game, mm -hmm. with a babysitter who was a couple years older than me. I knew that she was Christian in some way because my parents were both very anti-religion, anti-religious mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. always kind of vaguely agnostic, but definitely did not like organized religion. I must have known she was a Christian because my parents must have mentioned it like, oh, you know, some caginess around it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't really recall, but mm -hmm, I'm just mm -hmm, saying. Because mm -hmm. I remember I was slightly cagey around it. And at 10, for you to be cagey around somebody's religion means you've learned that from an adult. Sure. <laughs> you're not right. feeling that. You're not feeling it's that. It's like being racist at 10. You've exactly. learned that. You've from learned an it adult. from an adult. Mm -hmm. so, so I remember I kept on saying, I think with sorry, you know, you, you pull a card or something, and then if you get sorry, you have to go back to the beginning. It's like, oh, okay. sorry. So I would go, oh, sorry, God. And she kept on saying, why do you keep apologizing to God? Because 
I can tell now that me saying God like that felt like an expletive. It felt like a careless way to use this name, mm. this word in vain. Mm-hmm. And I remember at 10 even being like, would you just chill with this God thing? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, come on. And it's funny that I now have actually, dis- I say goodness. I, I really don't like to use the word God as an expletive or a careless sort of thing because I have to, because so often it turns up in the scripts I read. Jesus Christ and God are names that constantly, it's like, oh, God, oh, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just became sensitive to it because those words suddenly had this new meaning to me. So Mm. anyway, that's just a vision of how maybe like the trajectory, it's like I really did grow up in an environment where I think it was mystical in its, at most my parents were mystical, but there was no real conversation of spirituality. Uh, They were both smart and sensitive. To be fair, their marriage was never a good model and didn't exist for very long so really maybe like my childhood was was spent in a in a sort of absence of a lot of family and connection and it really would pave the way for years of what would end up feeling like like a certain kind of solitude which really was the fuel uh, uh, for the lamp of search for me like by, by the time I was in my teens I was acting professionally and actually had been for a long time so really, I was staring into the face of what I would call despair. And by the time I was 20 and on Gossip Girl, I was concerned about why I did not feel better. Hmm. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. That's, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So all of these things are in great alignment. You're, you're an actor. You're pursuing your craft. You're on a hit show. Hmm. You're making a lot of money. You're super popular. Hmm. And yet you were... And I and I unhappy and, and you know what the thing is like I was at least sensible enough to not be surprised by that, but mm-hmm. I was like, all right, so what's the deal? Like, how do I take stock? Like, what like what is it? Mm-hmm. What is it? Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I as far as I understood, I'd I'd, I'd unturned every stone. I, I I was I was like, what is it? Mm-hmm. What's gonna be the thing? Mm-hmm. Is this the natural state of the human being to just be? successful unhappy? and unhappy <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah. what like what yeah well, come on like that can't mm-hmm. be it yeah but it really does appear i don't know i mean I, for me short of the baha'i revelation there was there was nothing there really was nothing mm. you know mm. and i and so it's my, so funny how the way that i've i've spoken about it before and people who have read my book are tired of me talking about it but <laughs> that was the same impetus for me to come back to the baha'i faith was Wow, I've achieved all my goals. I have a beautiful girlfriend, an awesome apartment in Brooklyn. Hmm. I'm a working actor. This is beyond my wildest dreams for a nerdy suburban boy from Seattle. And yet I'm really deeply unhappy. Deeply. Unsettled, alienated. Like, it's not supposed to be this way. What the yeah. hell is going on? Well, see, that what you just said, though, I think is really interesting. It's not supposed to be this way. Well, I culturally, think, you're well, like... Hey, you went to New- you moved to New York and you're an actor and yeah, like you have every form of material success. Like, if you're not happy, who the hell's going to be happy? Yeah. Like, I would never characterize what I experienced as depression, mm-hmm. and here's why: it had a reason. And I'm not suggesting that people who are depressed don't have a reason. I'm suggesting that we're starting to. There, I think the idea that depression has purely chemical, purely chemical origins is gaining more and more traction, and. I wonder if that's a facet of our totally materialistic, like, philosophies that guide most of our 
science mm. and mm. our, you know, like but you can we, solve it with a pill. Well, I'm, I'm not, I mean, that's part of it, but I, I, I want to be sensitive to people who are on medication uh, well, that helps them on medication. Mm-hmm. And then also mm-hmm. like experiencing depression. But I, here's my thing is like the kind of thing that always, the kind of thing that got me through that then turned into acceptance of Baha'u'llah's revelation and, and, and message. It was like, I should not be happy in such a disordered civilization. I Like, or rather, what are the means to achieve happiness in such a disordered civilization? I don't think that me being this unhappy is inappropriate. Mm, I don't okay. think, you so know you what a, I mean? You had a very valuable perspective. I, well, I, you know, it's not for I, me, it was, it, it was a conundrum. It's like, wait a minute. Well, yeah. I was told yeah, yeah, yeah. that if I move to New York and become an actor and get an agent and I'm working and I, I wasn't making very much money, but I was, you know, and I have these things, then, then I would be happy. I was promised this yeah, yeah. by society, yeah. you know, not by the Baha'i faith. So for me, it was like, bumping my head against a wall. This doesn't make any sense. What the hell is going on? That was, that was more mine. But yeah. for, for you, it sounds like well, it was, you it were was, more... It was, it, I think, probably the same way for... I mean, that's the way you're describing it, not probably there's so many other things going on. For me, it's like, I think, in retrospect, the reason I never, like, lost it... and Because I'm telling you, I mean, I was... You, it sounds like you totally identify, and probably countless others do. Like, I don't know what kept me from, like, genuine suicidality because I was very um, sad. Mm. But there seemed to, I think the seed of faith that I never lost, which would then become the seed of faith in, in Baha'u'llah, was that I, as challenged as I was by society's teachings and my friends and stuff to just, you know, not be so serious and stuff, I always kind of, I, I never ultimately let go of this idea that there is a reason I feel this way. There's a good, not only is there a reason, there's a good reason I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to think that I'm just crazy and wrong about all mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a good reason. Yeah. And the bizarre thing about coming to the Baha'i faith is the way that it makes everything make sense, including all of the other religions. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, in a way, like, I mean, it makes everything make sense. The girl, so the Christian girl sense. playing sorry. Right. Makes you know, sense. it's like, yeah. so, and my sister, who's a, who has profound faith as a Christian, I mean, I have a whole new connection with her and her family, um, as well as the atheist who loves reason, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as well as the Buddhist who, like, loves, uh, well, I don't know enough about Buddhism to say much, but. Um, the way that it made everything make sense, it was just like, it, it suddenly it was like life transformed from no mm-hmm. to maybe to yes. So how did you go from being kind of lost, having this career as an actor, and thinking that maybe spirituality, yeah. before you're a Baha'i, that spirituality might have some answers mm-hmm. around this, as opposed to... I don't know, philosophy or, you know, yoga or, you know, some, something else. Psychology, yeah. science. I mean, were you, actually, were actually. Were always spiritually curious? I was when did that start? I mean, the, the, I don't recall how I thought about spiritual things as an early teen because 
I just don't recall. I, I, I don't remember the language I would have used. Mm. I'm definitely like kind of always, I mean, I think we all are, you know, it's not like I've changed so much that I just have like, I'm not 100% a different person. I've always sort of been this way. But, well, to be fair, so, you know, growing up without a, a, t- a whole lot of guidance and a, not a lot of models and in an industry where I was working and, um, and cre- you know, you grow up fast, I, I, there was substance. Um, I had, you know, like a lot of weed and alcohol very early on. Mm-hmm. And um, I do recall... the. Let's let's not wallow in the sort of darkness of it and actually distill the spiritual essence. I remember the first time I had a drink at 12 years old. And I remember being fascinated. Because what was happening was my sobriety, my, what we would call sobriety, or my, my consciousness was being influenced. Mm-hmm. My consciousness was suddenly different than I'd ever experienced it. Mm-hmm. And I was therefore shown a side of, of what it is to be conscious. And I was like... Wow, like, this wow. is interesting. Yeah, like this is really interesting. I remember saying to my friend, who, "It's like it's almost like the way that someone would do ayahuasca." And yeah, which say, I also did, by the way. Uh, and um, say, "Oh, I have this consciousness right, shifting. Yeah. I have a consciousness." Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I ended up experimenting in my teens with a lot of psychedelics, which I, I, I you know, look, I'm not going to judge. Explains. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to encourage it, uh, but I also can't. I can't negate it as part of my path, and I think there's. There's therapeutic ben- I mean, we're discovering there is there is there is therapeutic benefits to certain. Anyway, whatever. I'm not you know because I because I because as a Baha'i, I profoundly believe uh, it's it's not it's not only possible to achieve all these things just you know soberly, but it's necessary for us to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But apart from that, I guess what I can what I'm boiling I'm boiling rather than wallowing in the sort of like oh I had a crazy life man you know it's more like okay what was actually happening in its spiritual essence like. I was shown what it is to be intoxicated. There's a lot of reference to wine and intoxication in the Baha'i writings. Mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. the sweetest state of prayers can get you drunk, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was experiencing that because I had no other, I had no other spiritual modeling. I had mm-hmm. no other path to express it. So therefore, I wanted to, I wanted to modulate my consciousness. I think, I think it is human nature to want to modulate your consciousness. Sure. In worship or some other lesser form. Well, conscious for addiction, consciousness is a burden mm. that needs to be silenced, quelled, soothed, mm. escaped from. Because, and I and I think part of that is because it's not being given what it's due, which is like consciousness of its maker and and the 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 depth, like the depth of knowledge. Like when you read Abdul Baha's writings and about that are like scientific and like. The way he's unveiling reality to us is so deep. I feel like we're we're all deserving of that. If if Baha'u'llah's message is true, like we're all deserving of like just infinite knowledge, hmm. you know. Hmm. And the fact that we're being denied that, I think very rightly so. When you're just about twelve for the first time, you're like, "What the hell's going on here? I need I need something I need something to get me drunk." And if it's not going to be prayer, I, <laughs> it's going to be something else. I mean, sorry if it's a bit extreme, but that's the way yeah. that I think I. That so you know so my path from twelve to twenty eight was like sometimes it would veer into a place that was dangerous but I actually truly was always very sensitive and never had a capacity to like really drink that much or smoke that much or whatever and 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 that would even trouble me it's mm-hmm. like I tr- I I'm not kidding when I was about twenty five it's like I tried to be an alcoholic because I was like what's it gonna be 
You know, I was I was like I was like searching for Laylee in the dust. You know, the the, the old. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I I really was like, what is it gonna be? What's what you know? Like, what does it mean to be a true artist? What does it mean to be a true true human? You know. And anyway, I don't remember if that answers your question at all. But, but what's so the spiritual, the spiritual itch that you had? Yeah, it always manifested in like feeling as though there was a veil to part, but not knowing how. Oh, so I so music was a, was yeah. a, was always a deep, profound passion. Mm. It it was always like it was like my god and my religion, mm. and so and so then as a conscious like white American man, I started to think like, where's the real knowledge? It's it's in the margins of our culture. It's in mm. the past. You know, I started to like. Um, I as a person who felt like I always learned the most from rap music. I have always valued the the contributions of our historic populations and African Americans and and um, American Indians and and so then so for spirituality so first of all like in a lot of rap music and and like soul music there's a lot of just inherent sort of references to to God and spirituality mm-hmm. I think that's a really beautiful thing so I always kind of had that there and then um, actually you know a, a real major contribution my father made was like encouraging the exploration of of indigenous uh culture Hmm. and so then i really was like digging into that as a late teen early 20s person but i didn't have an authentic relationship to that you know i was learning a lot of prayer and meditation through some kind of south american kind of like i was i was trying to learn as much as i could but like i didn't i didn't have a clear authentic path to Mm -hmm. learning about Mm -hmm. these indigenous cultures you know Mm -hmm. in some ways they've been so successfully erased you know especially to a person who i didn't have any friends who had indigenous heritage that i was aware of so you know what am i what was i going to do so you know in the end the door that really opened for me to be humble enough to consider Baha'u'llah's message was heartbreak. Hmm. All this intellectualization aside, it was just pure heartbreak. Okay. <laughs> breakup. You had a, you had a breakup. Yeah. Yeah. That and then, and that was when sent you into a tailspin of some kind. That was when the single Baha'i I knew was able to give me the seven valleys and encouraged me to read it. And, and that was the first time where I was like, what is this man? Like, that's, been, a, that's, a, that's a heady this. one. That's a real, that's well, a difficult, mystical one to unpack. And that's, so that's where I've always kind of been, I think, a mystic, you know, in mm. a certain way. Mm. I mean, I think we all are. But that was the thing of, that was, but being an artist, I think, was always like being a mystic. Loving music was always about mysticism. Um, and so I think that's, I don't know, I'm not really sure another way to put it is more relatable, but that's the way that I always felt, I think. Hmm, hmm. So a friend of yours gave you the Seven Valleys, and then what was that process like? Well, he knew that I liked to sing, and uh, he, he actually just gave me the book, and he said, sing from this. <laughs> like, wow. It's not what everybody would say. So I opened it up, and I, and I turned to the page unwittingly of uh, the Wayfarer uh, fleeing the Night Watchman. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And I started to sing it, and then I just was like, you know, tears coming down my face and that's so appropriate that that was the story. That's where I was. That was that's where I heartbreak was. being chased by the not, mm-hmm. night watchman, but it leads them to the garden, to, to, the to, garden. Their, to their beloved. Yeah. And that's really, that is, I mean, dude, ugh. Baha'u'llah is such a great storyteller for each and every one of us. Like, I mm. mean, I, 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 yeah, it's, it was so what I needed. And 
and even what I wanted, mm. you know. And then from there, I think, so the seed had been planted in my heart, but then what helped my mind to uh, become really intoxicated with the, with, the, with the intense rigor and reason and rationale and analysis of, like, Shoghi Effendi and the Universal House of Justice was when I read The Promise of World Peace, which was written mm. the year I was born. And I was like, this is the most comprehensive analysis of, like, the world I've ever written in terms of the modern world. Yeah. And it was written, actually, even before eight, I was born. 85, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to ask the few Baha'is I knew. I'm like, guys, what are you talking about? And, <laughs> you know, it's like they finally started, I think, do what we would call direct teaching. You know, it was like before that it was maybe not so direct. Mm-hmm. And then it became direct. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we discuss on this podcast is the the intertwining of one's faith and one's work. Mm. So you do music. You've had a band for many years. You were touring for years with your band. Uh, you've been on successful TV shows. You started as an actor, as a teenager. We've talked a lot on this show, and there's a lot of writings about uh, the Baha'i faith and the arts and the importance of the arts. But what? how do you feel that your faith works alongside or inspires your work as an actor, storyteller, and musician? Well, you know, a thought comes to mind is like it always, what I need to tell myself more than anybody else is like it always works with it. And when I feel like it's working against it, I'm not doing it right. You know, I'm not, Mm. and by doing it, I mean like I'm not being like truly Baha'i. And by the way, like whoever is, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, Abdul Mm -hmm. Baha'i. And that's, Mm -hmm. for me, I'll just shortcut to the way I'm thinking about it now because I think I've probably provided a lot of context for how it's been maybe throughout my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't even talk about the the pure art thing, because I think that's just very mystical and spiritual and kind of like self-explanatory to some degree. Um, I'm talking about like being a professional, you know, mm-hmm. and like where I am as an actor, like with a platform and all this stuff. To me, I'm starting to think of all media that I make as a form of participation in discourse, you know, like, oh. I, like, and we actually, as a team, my production team, we study the guidance of the universe as a justice as much as we can, you know, well, not as much as we can, but yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we do, you like, dig into it's, it. It's, occasionally. it's, it's, it's yeah. a part of our company ethos that we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do want the guidance to be guiding us. That's what it's there for, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and it also helps op- it helps me see that what I'm doing is not like wrong or not somehow antithetical to the teachings. Because you know, if I'm not careful, I could take on a very puritanical position. Mm. I mean, when I first declared, I was kind of ready to walk away from acting, and I think the people close to me were like, "What the hell are you doing? And what is this Baha'i faith?" Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. Did you want to like go pioneering or I something? I really did. <laughs> I really, really did. Yeah. But I'd also just gotten married. It was like, well, what do you? That's where you pioneer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that you pioneer like the. I mean, my understanding, at the risk of oversimplifying, is like the days of the days of of pioneering in in foreign lands. Is it's less those days than it is now. It's like home front pioneering. We're, mm-hmm. we're we're pioneering in our field. We're pioneering in our lives because that's where the field is. The field is right in front of us. We can build community no matter where you are. And in fact, you have to, right? Mm -hmm. So like, 
I mean, my what I love about the Baha'i faith is that because it's true spirituality, it's like there's you don't need to go to the mountaintop. You bring the mountaintop to you, mm. you know? Nice. I mean, maybe you spend some time, fine, but you don't live on the mountaintop, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think before I had a very binary kind of like simple idea of spirituality, which is like, I got to go to the mountaintop, you know? Mm. And by the way, I went to mountaintops. <laughs> I did, did, I called out to the sky and I, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. Um, so in my career, in my profession, in my work, I'm trying to think of like, you know, I'm not direct teaching. It's not expansion and consolidation. It's not proclamation of the faith of Baha'u'llah. It's, it's the work of media, you know, is storytelling. And what is storytelling but a form of discourse and, you know, what it means to be human. What hu- like, ho- what Hollywood has done historically is been a major contributor to discourse and like, what it is to be human, like all the stories of like love and relationships. Like, Mm. so to me, I, the way that I'm applying the principles of the faith to my work is, is, is not just like letting the writings of Baha'u'llah inspire me at a mystical level so that it just infuses my work. But it's more like, how can I take the, like, the current plan and like, apply what the Universal House of Justice is telling us all? Hmm. How do I apply that to my work? Because I shouldn't think of my work as somehow existing outside of that. I shouldn't think of really anything as existing outside of that. Like, you know, I, you know if my work pulls me away from being able to have as many core activities as I would like, if I'm m- never going to pioneer in the way that... I've read about, you know, Mm. so, okay, fine. But like everybody has a role within the plan as we know it, you Mm -hmm. know? And so like, how do I make a contribution in that way in my field? And I, and, and so, so really I'm just, every project I'm developing right now is, is, is like when I don't know where the story is headed, I just think, okay, what am I trying to say here? What has been said historically, and what does Baha'u'llah say about that? And how can I show a character who's coming from an old world understanding to a new world understanding? Mm-hmm. And that literally is just around, like, it's in one project I'm developing, it's literally just love. It's like, what does it mean to be mm. in love mm. and married? Mm. It's very simple in a way. Another one is around race. Like, what are we really talking about when we say that? That's a whole other thing, <laughs> you know. We have another one that's like focusing in the period of junior youth, like um, both a series that that was in development, although it's not any longer because it's uh, we're still cracking that nut. But also this podcast that we just had you on, you know, that's like some form of participation. I mean, again, like I'm I'm not suggesting that we're doing it all right, but what we're trying yeah. to do is yeah. think of it as participation in discourse, a contribution to discourse, like. What can we encourage people who are going through the period of junior youth, but then also people who have lived through it, who have war stories? Mm-hmm. How can we encourage them to be like, the reason we have war stories is because it's a special period of potency that, that currently is not recognized as such. You mm-hmm. know? And like, mm-hmm. what, what do the Baha'i teachings have to offer on that? So, Wow, that's great. What, um, is there a Baha'i quote that is your favorite that inspires you? The first one that I remember, like when I went on pilgrimage, right? At, and I went on pilgrimage soon after declaring. Um, 
I don't know the whole one right off the top of my head, but it was this vast, this wondrous system mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that really hit mm -hmm. me. Like, system? With mm -hmm. a capital S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had never in my life, I'm like, we're talking about God right now, and it's the word we're using is system? Like, what? What is that? Yeah, if you're pulling it up. The world's equilibrium have been upset, if I recall. That's... Yeah. The world's the equilibrium world... have been upset through the vibrating influence of this most great, this new world order. Mankind's ordered life have been revolutionized through the agency of this unique, this wondrous system, the like of which mortal eyes have never witnessed. So, yeah, I mean... But there was something about that phrase, a wondrous this system? This wondrous system. I mean, so I, I think at that point, spirituality for me was like all about individual pursuit. And the funny thing is, is that that's kind of like it's not the last thing it's about, but it's the, it's the, it's the marriage of individual transformation yeah. with social transformation. Sure. And that is ultimately like, that's also what I do, what I think of in my work. Like, okay, how can I, how can I tell a story about an individual thinking about their role in the betterment of the world? But yeah. not, we're not preaching here, you know, and one of the, And one of the, one of the things I struggle with is that in contemporary society, when I try and talk to people about the Baha'i faith, people really get the personal transformation. They're like, Hey, I want spiritual tools that will make my life more peaceful, mm. you know, but they never or very rarely equate that spiritual tools can also be used to make the world a better place. It's mm. like, how can I make my life more peaceful using these spiritual tools like meditation, let's say. And at the same time, I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to yell at people mm. and rail at people and I'm going to vote for this you know, politician that's going to make the world a better place or this politician that's going to make the world a better place. There's this mm. giant disconnect between spirituality and a new world order and a unique, wondrous system. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I think we're, we're challenged as Baha'is to, to be increasingly systematic about our efforts. I, like, I don't know, what is that... What does that even mean? Like, I mean, we're learning what that means. By we, I mean Baha'is who are greater mm -hmm. than I am. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I feel like, I mean, isn't that kind of the greatest task we have before us is to help ourselves understand through, through experience and then share with the wider community what does it mean to wed individual spiritual practice which is individual transformation of character mm. to, to the character of society. And to do that, you need to create, literally, a wondrous system. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that that system is not only going to work, but it's the only thing that will work, and that it is divine, it's, the seed has been planted, we're just trying to tend to it and cultivate it as it grows. Yeah. It will happen with or without us, we, better, we, might, as well, we might as well align ourselves with... Mm with its growth because nothing else will grow. You know, how do we share it? How do we live it? I mean, again, for me, like, I think as, as modern Baha'is, it's remembering to turn to, to also the guidance of the universe house of justice. For me, I always have to remember, like, it's not just about reading the writings of Baha'u'llah in the morning and at night. And, and when I have the opportunity to like, I love to trip out on meditation. So like for me, praying and meditating is 
is, a, is like a little vacation, and I love to find time for it. What I think is harder to do is to remember that it has a purpose. It's not just for me to feel good. It has a purpose to, to, to enable me to act and to mm. sacrifice and to mm. persevere. You know, it's like, I mean, the weird thing about our culture now is that it's becoming very, very enchanted by ideas of meditation and mindfulness and things that we would call spiritual, but it's all in the realm of self-care. Yeah. So that you can go into the real world, quote unquote, and use the tools of the real world, quote mm -hmm, unquote, mm -hmm. to then achieve justice. And Baha'u'llah, as I understand it, is encouraging us to realize Actually, those tools in the quote-unquote real world are only going to create more violence and disintegration. Mm -hmm. So our prayer and meditation is, is the first step towards even realizing what tools do exist that we can use, mm -hmm. you know, to actually build a new world civilization, you know. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. so it, it's such humbling small steps. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I first started serving, quote unquote, in, the, in a, like with some kind of like study of the guidance, I, I remember being like, always thinking to myself, like, what are we doing? What am I doing? How do I talk about this to anybody? Like, it's really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Penn, this conversation is uh, been so... Uh, Fruitful and elucidating. Yes, that's a word. Look it up, people. I like it. We're coming up on the centenary of the passing of Abdu'l-Bahá. This is a very spiritually charged year. What comes to mind to you around Abdu'l-Bahá and um, 2021 and 2022? Thank you for that question, actually. A beautiful way to end. This story that I've, I've heard, it's an apocryphal story, um, Abdu'l-Bahá was once asked, I think by a journalist trying to, to, to get the better of him, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you could sum up the Baha'i faith in one word, what would it be? And I want anybody listening to take a moment. How would you sum up the Baha'i faith in one word? If you could, dare you try? How would we even imagine the master summing it up in one word? Could he? Would he? Should he? You know, like this reporter trying to one-up, you know, like what? And what did he say? This is apocryphal, of course, so take it with a grain of salt. Encouragement. Hmm. Encouragement. Hmm. And, and it's such a simple, gentle kind of like, huh, okay. I find it to be profound because what, and it's my understanding that, you know, a, a vast majority of the writings of Baha'u'llah even were responses to, you know, either believers or others asking questions. Mm -hmm. He was encouraging them, mm. you know, like the, the translated writings we have in study are, are of a certain nature. But it's my understanding that most of the writings of all of the figures of our faith were response. That might not be true for the Bab, but like were responses to people asking questions. And what did they do but encourage? Mm. Guiding through encouragement. Like the same way we were talking about the opposite. What's the positive existence of peace rather than just nonviolence? Hmm. What's hmm. the positive existence of race amity rather than just the absence of racism? Mm -hmm. And so to me, I think that the mode of consultation, the mode of, of being that we must live in to realize all of these things is encouragement. Hmm. We have to encourage each other. We have to encourage ourselves. How does the Universal House of Justice talk to us? Like, they're so encouraging. Mm -hmm. They could be so crushing. Yeah. Like, y'all letters... have not done this yet. Yeah. <laughs> you have the word of God. <laughs> I always think the Universal House of Justice could write the letter of like, 
hey guys, remember our last letter and yeah, all that right. stuff we said it's to in do? There. you it's didn't, in there. <laughs> you haven't done it yet. So just read, just look at last year's letter and Thank call you. us when you're done. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we're infallible. Uh, if Hello. you could just get on that. But they don't. They mm-hmm. encourage. Like, what did Abdul Baha say? To, like, I want to say there was a guy who was, like, responsible for the invention of a bomb. And this man, do you know this story? Yeah, it was in, in armaments. Sir. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and what he said, what his, the response to his question was so encouraging. It's like, Abdul Bahaka could have called him a war criminal. Yeah. You know? I mean, surely he, I, well, I don't know what he thought. Yeah. But, like, it's very challenging in this age to think that encouragement is the way. Yeah, yeah. It's very challenging. Like, I'm even thinking, like... As a parent, what do I want to do but encourage Hmm. my children? It's so hard not to discourage them because you're afraid of what they're going to do wrong. Oh, Mm -hmm. no, you know? Mm -hmm. I constantly discourage myself thinking of what I've done wrong, you know? I mean, but it's it's encouragement. So, So in my work, in my personal study, in my marriage, in my friendships... I'm just trying to think about what it means to, to if, if in this year, this special year of potency, which we should always be magnifying throughout the rest of our lives, is like, what did the master do? I mean, maybe, maybe it's summed up well with one word, and that's encourage. What a great way to end this conversation. Penn, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Oh, this was, this was just a real thrill and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Again, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iblog.net. Thank you so much, and good night.